Sales is the most lucrative skill in the world, period. The problem is most sales advice out there today is outdated, cheesy, and can even keep you from getting the deals that can make all the difference in your career. This is the No BS Sales School, a podcast for entrepreneurs and salespeople who want to master the skill of selling without all the BS. Welcome to the OBS Sales School Podcast. I'm your host, Walker McKay. Today, I have a guest. And as y'all know, I've changed my format some. I um, don't have many guests. I kind of save these spots for people that are special, that are fun and smart and have great things to share. And boy, I came across somebody who matched all those things in my friend, Julie Brown. Um, Julie is an author. And one of the things that caught my eye at first, y'all will know as soon as I tell you the title, the title of her book is That Shit Works, right? That Shit Works, a no-nonsense no guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and more success. A book dedicated to making networking easy, accessible, and fun, as well as the host of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things business development. <laughs> Julie, as a child, she told me she desperately wanted to grow up and be a part of GLOW, which is the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. But sadly, she was not able to make that happen. So now she speaks around the country um, to groups, um, to companies, to groups about networking and how to do it effectively. Um, and so if you are looking for a speaker and wondering if Julie could be that person for you, listen up to our conversation today and reach out to her. Um, one more thing I'll ask you is at the end of this podcast or when you're finished or even hell now, go rate it and review it. Give me a review. Give me some stars. Stars are great. Put some words on the paper. My goal is to get to 100 reviews. I'm like four shy. Help a brother out if you get all this free good content. It's a great way you can help me back. Julie Brown, <laughs> welcome to the Nova Yes Sales School. Hello, Walker. Thank you for having me. And I want to make one correction. The book is actually called This Please. Shit Works, not That Shit Works. Oh. But maybe, oh. Walker, maybe my second book will be called That Shit Works. <laughs> <laughs> that Shit Works, too. That right? Was, yes, exactly. <laughs> T-O-O. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Written down on the page and I blew it. So um, Julie was recommended to me by my friend Lindsay Steeman, whom you all have heard on this show before. And um, Lindsay says, I really admire this person. Says she's got great energy and she's smart. And um, and anyway, Lindsay is a huge fan and says she wants to hang out with you. So mm -hmm. keep up with Lindsay. Um, so tell me something, Julie. How did you, oh. I mean, networking is your thing. You're yep. known as an expert on it. You speak about it all over the world. Yep. How did that become your thing? Slowly, What's your story? you know, it's yeah. the byproduct of spending 20 plus years in just in, you know, the corporate America in business yeah. and understanding through those, you know, I had been in business for 17 years before I started my own company. And so now my company is mm -hmm. almost seven years old. And so mm -hmm. it be, it was a byproduct of understanding how business gets done and how the most successful people became successful. It was observing mm -hmm. what those people did. And then it was also implementing the practices of, Okay, I'm going to build relationships in which I'm invested in other people's success. They're invested in my success. I'm going to know everything that's happening in my industry. I'm going to be a wealth of information for the people in my network. And 
I'm also going to tap into my network and use my network because so many people have people in their network and they don't even know how to ask what they want. So it was a combination of things. And then I got a reputation for being one of the most well-connected people. I live in Boston, so... I got a reputation for being one of the most well-connected people in Boston. And people would say something like, oh, do you know Julie Brown? And people's response was, everybody knows Julie Brown. And she knows everybody. (laughs) So it kind of became my tagline when I first started my business back in 2016. uh, That was my tagline, Julie Brown. She knows everybody. And that's awesome. That's how I built my business was just knowing so many people and and having access to so many things because of the network that I had created. But it took time. So one of the stories that I love is in the beginning of your book where you talked about your husband working mm. for an architecture firm, a big architecture firm. And then one day he came <laughs> well, one day, but over time he said, fuck this. Yep. I'm, uh, I want to go work on my own. And mm-hmm. so you had a very vested interest in him succeeding. Yep. And the story, and I'm probably not doing the story justice, but you started picking up the phone mm-hmm. and calling people that you knew and said, my husband's opened up his own <laughs> architecture shop. Um, yep. Do you need any architecture done? And you call people that needed houses and commercial, whatever else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sure enough, you got him started on a great foot. Isn't, isn't that close to the story it's pretty much the story but the one thing you missed about the year that he started his architecture practice was it was 2010 and your listeners might not know we all understand the great recession and what it did and and the unemployment that we had you might not understand unless you're in the built world unless you're in the architecture engineering and construction industry was that our industry was actually at 55% unemployment in 2010. And we had a huge loss of talent because people were let go and and just left the industry and said, I'm not doing this anymore. And so our industry was, lots of industries were rocked, but the architecture, engineering and construction industry was decimated in 2010. So... It might not have been the best idea to quit your job (laughs) and hang your shingle in 2010. But I said to him, I said, listen, if we can make this happen now, we're golden. We'll never we'll never have anything we can't get through. And then I started dialing for dollars and I just called everybody I knew. And while architecture firms were still laying people off, he was hiring because he was so busy. That funny. It kind of goes back to my belief that um, recessions are personal, mm. um, and there certainly are shifts in the economy. But even during shitty times, and I don't think you're as old as me, but I think I've lived through seven or eight recessions. Um, and uh, there are people that lose their shirts, and then there are plenty of people that make a shitload of money, and mm-hmm. those are the people that adjust, right? That yep. figure out what what is what will work, what does work. The old yeah. stuff doesn't work anymore, and yep. so. Um, and you just did that, right? Um, and figured out, we just got to go work more. Because a lot of people say, well, nobody's buying architecture. So <laughs> yep. there's a cartoon in the New Yorker, actually. I don't know if you've seen this before. The cartoon back then said, we'll design space for food, right? Somebody's wearing a sandwich oh, board, architect walking back up and down the street. We'll design <laughs> yeah. space for food um, was the joke. But um, there's business out there if you're willing to go find it. So yeah. um, if you were to offer, well, what does networking mean? What does that mean to you? What's that word uh, mean? I wish we could call it something else to begin with. I wish it wasn't called working. Like I wish yeah. it wasn't called networking. I uh, wish it was just called building relationships with other people and giving a shit about other people. Like that's what I wish it was called because I, like I want people 
and especially because of this, Walker, I want people to get to the point in their careers where they don't have to work with people they don't like or don't respect. And to me, when you network hard enough, when number one, be good at your job, barrier to entry, be good at your job. But when you build the kind of relationships where you're invested in other people's success and they're invested in your success and you become friends, you don't have to work with people you don't respect or people you don't like. And that's Mm -hmm. what I wish for everybody. Yeah. One of the things I talk to my clients about, and and it's just, it's a wordplay perhaps, but I tell my clients, don't go to work to make friends. And this is just a probably diff- difference in definition. What I tell them is that if, you know, the def- the goal of a friendship would be just the friendship itself. And mm-hmm. if you have other outside wants from that, you're being disingenuous exactly. about a friendship. Yep. So what I kind of have wordplayed it to is let's look for um, healthy business relationships mm-hmm. um, where it's two or more people that are actively working to help each other grow their business. So it's a similar definition to what you're talking about, right? I agree with that. Yes, 100%. You can call it whatever you You can define it however you want. As long as right. you are not taking more than you give and lo- as long as you are not hoping that other people in- are more invested in you than you are willing to be invested in them like it right. it has to be where you both care about each other and you both want to see each other succeed not what can i get out of you what can you do for me right. networking Again, I don't like that word, but networking is not quid pro quo. It's not I scratch your back, you scratch mine, or I, one hand washes the other. It's what can I do for you in your time of need, knowing that you will help me in mine. And it doesn't always happen. That's the thing about networking. I'm not going to want things at the same time as you as you want things, or I'm going to need things at the right. same, exact same time as you need things. So if you think that's the way it works, you're constantly going to be misfiring. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if, um, you know, I, I think about it similarly, but that if you help somebody else, it's like um, doing a good deed in the universe. Yes. And maybe that person that you help, that one can't help you back, but somebody else will. Yeah. But it's just an act. It's a, it's a decision to, and I, I, like you said, there are givers and there are takers. I believe mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a, a decision to become a giver, that your natural state is to be a taker. We've got to choose um, that I want to be somebody who gives more to other people perhaps yeah. than I get in return, knowing that, you know, I don't know, that it's our job to do that. And would it be great right. if everybody felt that way? Right. I mean, and What's it's like, key? how do you build those? Go well, ahead, continue. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I like your next question versus what I was going to say. How do you build those relationships? I like that question. Yeah, I mean, what? how do you not be disingenuous? How mm-hmm. do you not have somebody... Um, because I think a lot of people are afraid, right? They're afraid sure. to reach out because somebody might say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? Um, what, how do you do that? Well, there, that's a complicated answer and it's a multi-pronged answer. Because the first thing is you never just reach out to somebody because you need something. You have to you have right. to lay that foundation before you have a need. Yeah. So that when yep. you do have a need, it's quite easy for that person to say, yes, of course, whatever you need. The mm-hmm. second part of that answer is, we should be curious enough about other people to really get to know them. So not just what they do for business, just not what they could possibly do for you or possibly buy for you or possibly give to you. It's like, how can I increase the surface area with which I'm connected to this person, this other person? What I mean by that is, 
How can I get to know them as a whole person where I know how many kids they have, if they have a dog, what they like to do on the weekends? Like, is is there anything that we have in common so that when I see something, I see this article on kayaking or something, which I'm never going to do, but I can send it to them. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I know that you and, and, and your wife go kayaking on the weekends up in whatever you go kayaking in a lake, a river. I don't know. Um, so. Like, how can I constantly be a source of information for them, be a source of them knowing that I remember who they are as a person? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a yep. famous quote that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to people they know, like, and trust. Well, how are you going to get there? How are you going to get to know, like, and trust if you don't know the other person on the other end, if you don't know who they are and what's important to them and if they like to golf and when their birthday is and when they got promoted and send them a card? Like, I always say the extra mile is never crowded and it doesn't take much to hit the extra mile people just don't do it i think you're right and i think the key to that is reaching out to somebody before you need oh yeah and what Mm -hmm. you said too was very important um i think a lot of salespeople try and do this to their prospects that they walk in the door on the first sales call and the first thing they're looking for is what do we have in common what is it that they like that I like mm-hmm. when in fact that should not be the time that you're doing? I don't think that there's a time for that, but I don't think that's the time when all of a sudden they're the prospect and it's your first call. Mm-hmm. Then I think it's more of a business conversation. However, if you have met this person before, before right. you see them as a prospect, before they become a prospect, that's when you can learn about them as a human being. Are we in agreement on that? Do you well, know? A couple of different ideas on that. You could. Uh, This is why I love strategic introductions as a form of networking so much, Mm -hmm. because somebody can send a strategic, you know, introduce you to somebody strategically through email or whatever, and they cover that ground already. Hey, Walker, you and Jim have this in common and this in common and this in common. Like you you guys, when you meet, you're going to get along swimmingly, like blah, blah, blah. Like it is great when somebody else can already tell the other person why you guys should be friends and why you guys should be doing business. It happens to me all the time. People send emails to me uh, because people inevitably, you know, and I'm sure you too, people want to be connected with me and people who want to be, people who are mutual connections are like, well, why, what do you have in common? Blah, blah, blah. What, why would it, why would it matter? Just like when Lindsay connected us, she was like, you guys are the great. You, you both have both have podcasts. You're both entrepreneurs. You both swear a lot. You're like, like she had already laid the foundation for when our first call came. It was like, we were just in on it. I didn't need to prove that you, I didn't need to say, who is this Walker fella? You know, I was already like, yep, we're good. I, I like you. There's this thing in social network theory called triadic closure. And that just is if you are introduced to somebody you don't know by somebody, you know, the relationship, your relationship progresses as, at a faster rate because you've been pre-vetted by the other person. So that's why I love strategic introductions for increasing how quickly you get to know, like trust and how quickly you can do business together. And so the strategic introduction, the definition of that is when somebody that you know, like, and trust introduce you to somebody else that they know, like, and yes. trust with a reason for y'all to get together. Is exactly. Exactly. So what kind of behavior, what kind of behavior, if we can put it in those terms, would somebody need to have? Like, uh, let me ask a different way. So when I first started um, uh, my business before this business, a commercial real estate consulting business, I um, didn't have any clients, didn't have any money. And so I just started reaching out to people like you talked about and Mm -hmm. just said, 
you know, I've known you for a long time. I don't know what you do. You mind if we have a cup of coffee? And mm -hmm. so I ended up, I ended up do one a week for that. Ended up liking it so much. Ended up doing five or six in a week. Mm -hmm. Ended up helping me really build a network. But that was the behavior that I held myself to one of those a week and it sure. didn't be more fun and, and more profitable. Is there another kind of behavior that you recommend to people like that? I mean, so everybody's energy for networking is different. So everybody's capacity mm -hmm. for, for networking is different. I say you make time for the things that are important to you. And if you knew how important networking was to your career and to your business, you would make the yep. time for it. There's also the um, conversation we would have to have around introvert versus extrovert. It's a lot easier for extroverts mm -hmm. to network more than introverts. Because if you think about introverts versus extroverts, it's all about like sort of energy storage. And... Mm -hmm. Networking takes a lot of energy for introverts where it doesn't take as much energy for extroverts. So laying that as the ground rule, consistency mm -hmm. is key with networking. So I, I always say you have to, one, constantly tap back into your existing network. And, and if you haven't, listeners, if you haven't actually taken stock of your network, if you have not made an Excel spreadsheet or a CRM database with a list of every single person in your network and looked at it honestly and said, when was the last time I talked to this person? What is the strength of this relationship? Like that is where you can start because our networks are always bigger and more robust than we give them credit for. We just don't use them. So do that first, make a list, make a list of every single person, you know, and yes, friends and family are part of your network. So make a list of every single person, you know, and then be honest with yourself. How long has it been since I talked to this person? If I had to grade the strength of this relationship on a one to five, what would I do? And and then start rebuilding and strengthening your existing network. Do that. And then that's step number one that you have to be consistent with. Step number two is, okay, now I'm going to grow my network. Now, how can I identify people that I want to have in my network? Are they potential clients? Are they potential collaborators? Are there people that might be in industry organizations that you want to get involved in? How can I meet new people in my network that I would like to have in my network. And what I mean by that is not because they can do something for me, but because our, our, uh, you know, our morals are aligned. Like what we find important are aligned because I don't, like I said at the beginning, I don't want people in my network that I don't want to do business with. Uh, so yeah. like, so you don't want to walk in needy is what it sounds like to me. You don't want to walk in needy. Right. You don't want to go into this thing with, Oh, I, you know, I need to know you because you can help me with this. Exactly. I want to know you. Right. Yes. I want to know, you know, yes. and be, and the more sincere mm -hmm. you can be about that. I would say you need to be completely sincere, but the more yeah. sincere you can be about that, the better. Right. Yeah. So it's always consistent. So it's always, where do people screw it up? Where do people screw it up being screw inconsistent? It up in Where a else number can they screw ways. it up? Yeah. So people screw it up coming from a position of need. So you can't, you can't network from a position of need because you are never right. going to be your most sincere self if you're coming from a position of need. You're never going to be doing things from the most sincere place of you, which is I want to give first. I want to be a good part of this network. You're going to be coming at it from what can I get? So if you work in a business or a company in which you have people, so say you go to a conference and you have people in your company where when you come back from that conference, they say, what leads did you get? What, what did you, you know, what projects did you win? Like, are you kidding me? Did you really think you were going to go to one conference and beat out all the other people that that company has ever worked with before? Like that is networking from a place of need, from a place of 
trying to do it too fast. Um, Mm -hmm. I always say it takes time. You have to have patience for the incubation period in which relationships take to bear fruit. And if you don't have that time, you're always going to be pushing it. And then people are going to see you as a pushy person, like as a pushy salesperson or as a pushy marketing person. And nobody wants to deal with that. But that's how you're going to get a bad reputation in the industry. Um, So that is one way people do it wrong. The second way, another way that people do it wrong is probably not understanding how much they have to give. I I speak at a lot of colleges and universities uh, to graduating classes, and this is a big theme with them that they're just graduating. So they're afraid to reach out to people and network because they don't think they have anything to give. And it's so short sighted because, again, they're only looking at themselves as a definition of their degree. So I am this, Mm -hmm. I am an architect, I am an engineer, I am, you know, whatever, I'm a finance major. Like they're they're describing themselves by their degree instead of what are all the other life experiences I had? What are all like the, the technology advances that I know that other people like me who are 46 years old can't do on my phone? You know, like you always have something to give. So the younger people always go into networking events from a place of like thinking that they don't belong when you belong in every room you walk into you just have to realize what you have to give you might not be you know at a position been in your career as long as somebody else in that room but you always have something to give so i was thinking even um beyond the technology and the you know stuff is is boy if you're just coming getting out of college and you're going into the workforce you have better connections um, with people who are looking for jobs or oh, new yeah. in jobs who are likely to not stay in the same job very yep. long, yep. just because that's the nature of business these days. So mm-hmm. if you have people that you know, like, and trust from your college days that you won't yep. talk about the drug use you did together, um, it would be a um, probably a great thing to be mm-hmm. networking because you can, I mean, God, if you want to help somebody today, help them find a great employee. Yes. And 72% of jobs are Fill, 72? No, 85% of jobs. Okay, 85% of jobs are filled through networking. So, sorry, I had go. my statistic wrong. Harvard, Harvard studies show, right? Yes. So, um, so, tell me something. There is, um, I think there's some stigma that some females feel, especially about networking, that they are mm-hmm. hesitant to do that. And, yep. and, maybe, uh, and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's bullshit. What do you think about that? What's the difference between men networking and women networking? What do they need to think about differently, if anything? There's a lot of differences in the way men and um, women network. First, I want to say, because I'm very big into studies, studies show that one of the single biggest limiting factors for women in business is lack of a network. And it doesn't need to be, so we can change that. Uh, it 100% doesn't need to be. Listen, women uh, network differently from men in a lot of different ways. Number one thing is I want to say, like, statistically, networking was sort of like a good old boys club that that's mm-hmm. kind of how, you know, it was in it was in back rooms and cigar parlors and drinking scotch. Like, that's where, like, or on the golf course. And so yeah. it, there was this sort of male sort of dominated idea about networking that that was for men. And I don't think women really uh, realize the power of networking because it seemed like such a male dominated thing to do. Um, First, there are a couple of different ways that women network differently than men. One, women tend to build smaller, more intimate networks where 
men t- tend to build broader, more diverse networks, like a huge deep bench to help them out. Women tend to build homogenous networks. And what I mean by that is they tend to build networks with people who look just like them. And what I mean by that is same age as them, same career level as them. When men understand that networking in sort of a 360 degree fashion is is the way to do it they're you know they don't care they walk into an office they don't care they're gonna schmooze with the cfo and the ceo they're also going to schmooze with the people in the mail room like they understand the 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 power of having a really diverse network uh the third one is women tend to shy away from converting their relationships because they make such small intimate relationships into transactional relationships meaning they Mm -hmm. tend to shy away from asking what they want which is your business maybe a referral a strategic introduction because women shy away from the idea of wanting to look needy then women hate that um and then the fourth one and this is a major major one is the time it takes to network, women are tend tend to take on the familial obligations and not just children with the time it takes to take care of children. But if you are somewhere in the sandwich generation, you're not just taking care of your children, but you are taking care of your, your aging parents. And that historically, like 90% of that responsibility falls to women in the family. And a lot of the times that they're taking care of their family, whether they be aging parents or children, is times when networking events happen, either early in the morning or after work. It's interesting. It is. It's so hard. um, My sister moved to Columbia, where I live, Mm -hmm. when both of my parents were old and on their last you know, their last year or two. And I had to thank her every day for the stuff that she thought to do and mm-hmm. did do to take care of them because yeah, it might, didn't cross my mind how, how much yep. was involved in what to do. So, um, so do you think the best women networkers do, I mean, the best women networkers do what the best male networkers do? Same thing. Yeah, I guess I don't look at when I look at my network, I don't say, oh, that is the best female network or I have in my network. That's the best male networker I have in my network. I don't look at it that way. I just look at it as how good are you at networking in the sense of how good are you at building relationships, being a good partner to the people in your network, uh, caring about your network. So uh, I don't know. I just I never looked at it. it. I never looked at my network and said, oh, yeah, that's the best woman and that's the best man. So, yeah, I got it. I was just thinking best practice. Well, um, you know what? Um, I've learned a bunch <laughs> from you today. Um, I got more. I really? <laughs> I know there's a lot in, in the book, y'all. Um, this shit, right? This shit, this works. shit really works. <laughs> this this shit, works. shit works by Julie Brown. Um, it's really great. There are two great networking books. I think the original one was by Keith Ferrazzi mm-hmm. called Never Eat Alone. Yep. And that was about... 20 years old, I guess. Oh, yeah. And so then, I read that in 2004. So that's just about 20 years old. Yeah. And I, I mean, that was a just blew my mind mm-hmm. when I read that book. And your book is a really nice, more modern version of that. Done a nice job. Um, and so I highly recommend it. If networking is something that either that you already like and want to get better at, or you say, shit, I suck at that, <laughs> but I need to know how to do it yeah. better. Um, it's 
Julie's hilarious, as you can tell. And she writes her book. You can hear her voice in the book. And it's just outstanding. So I highly recommend. Um, Julie, what I was going to say I learned from you was, um, you know, a couple of things that are obvious to me now that, you know, networking used to be an old boys network, mm-hmm. right? And so that was kind of a new for women to be involved in that. And that women do have more intimate relationships and therefore smaller circles. Right. And so perhaps them being aware of networking up and down, mm-hmm. um, you know, do that better, be good. And boy, you're right. There's a whole lot more time restraints, it seems, on women. And sometimes they're, um, the time at the workday, um, they're dragged, not dragged from, they choose to go or, are, or must go to do other things right. outside that they don't see as opportunities for networking. Exactly. So, yep. It's great stuff. Where would somebody find you, Julie, if they wanted to hire you as a speaker for their conference or they wanted to um, recommend you to somebody? Where would they find you? So the easiest place to find me is my website, which is Julie Brown, B as in boy, D as in dog. So juliebrownbd.com. On there, you can go to the work with me tab and fill out the form to work with me as a speaker or for a workshop. You can sign up for my newsletter. Um, so pretty much that's the best way to find me. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, which I'm also Julie Brown BD on LinkedIn. However, if you do find me on LinkedIn, just let me know where you found me uh, because I get so many requests a day to LinkedIn that I only accept the ones where I know where they found me. Outstanding. Um no BS sales team. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've taken notes um, and I hope you'll go buy the book. Um, go buy the book. It's worth your time. It, it is. It's the best networking book that's out there right now. Um, in my never humble, often wrong opinion. Um, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts, preferably Apple podcast and leave a review. Give me some stars. Great. Write some words down on the page. Walker's an asshole, whatever. I still get credit if you leave a review. That mm-hmm. helps them expose the podcast to more people. Uh, we are growing every month, which is cool as hell to watch. And now that we have a great guest like Julie Brown, this thing's going to explode. <laughs> so please share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. Thank you very much. And I will see you. I'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks for listening to the OBS Sales School podcast. If you haven't already, please take one minute to write a quick review for the show. It really does make a huge difference. Also, subscribe to the show and please forward this episode to somebody else who needs to hear it. As a bonus for listening, I'm going to give you access to a free mini course, Seven Expensive Sales Mistakes You're Making and What You Can Do About It. Go to www.7salesmistakes.com and get access to the free mini course. That's the number seven salesmistakes.com. Thanks again for listening to the OBS Sales School Podcast.